Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your wonderful and gracious gifts to us this morning. For you are a compassionate God whose mercies are ever new. For you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The psalmist writes that as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And that the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. And with that, I would pray that you would remember this morning that you would bring down your blessings. And Lord, that your spirit would work within our hearts to cause us, to lead us, to follow you in obedience. And Father, I pray that you'd be with us during this service this morning. Lord, that we'd open up our hearts and minds to your truth. And Lord, we respond to the Holy Spirit's work that you may be glorified in all things. We praise the name of Christ and God's people said, Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark. As we continue our study in Mark chapter 6, is Jesus is a compassionate Messiah. Mark has been recording how Jesus' ministry has been growing in scope and size. His name is becoming known. Tales of his ministry is spreading. His message is receiving an audience. People are intrigued and curious and excited and begin to speculate who Jesus might be. Is he the prophet, the promised one? Is he the one who's going to prepare the way? Is he the king, the Messiah? Speculation, as we saw last week, even reached to the high house of Herod the ruler, who details also the final days of John the Baptist. We saw the sad note that John the Baptist is executed for crimes for pointing out the sin of Herod in marrying his sister-in-law. But we learned some lessons from the life and death of John the Baptist, who is recognized as a holy and righteous man. We learned that some are going to be attracted to the gospel, while others will be repelled. Many will actively oppose and persecute believers for speaking the truth, and that sin will lead us to ruin and regret. For us today, we've learned that we need to be courageous light bearers in the midst of the darkness of this world. We're to bless and to pray for those who seek our harm, and we are to live and die well. We come this morning in today's passage. Mark is now going to demonstrate that Jesus exhibits compassion as a good shepherd by giving rest to his weary disciples, by teaching those that were lost, confused, and mistaken, and providing food that was needed to satisfy the hunger of such a large crowd. As we look at this very famous, familiar story, it says the apostles returned to Jesus. Remember, they were on a ministry trip. And he told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away to the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all of the towns, and they got there ahead of Jesus and the disciples. Look at verse 34. But when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, 
And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away, go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, We have five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven, he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he invited the two fish among them all. In verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. What a great sentence. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and other fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Father, what a great story. You are a compassionate God. and You are a God who controls all of nature. What a great testimony to who your Son is. For He truly is not only the Son of God, but He is God Himself. And so Father, as we look at this familiar portion of Scripture, let us not check out and, and begin to think of other things, but Lord, let us look at it a little bit deeper. Let the Holy Spirit just have free reign to work within our hearts, to move some furniture, to, to maybe put some things out to dust and do the cleaning that needs to be done. Father, I pray that you would use your word to just scope out the things in our lives, Lord, that need to be ejected and those things that need to be given over to you. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. The question of who is Jesus still really is hanging in the balance here in Mark's narrative. Many people are, who is this Jesus? Who is this miracle worker? Who's the one who's raising the dead and healing the lame and, and making the blind see? Who's this one who teaches with such authority? Who is this man who can do such great and wonderful things? In this passage, Mark paints Jesus as not only a compassionate Messiah, but one who has authority over the very laws of nature. And he presents Jesus as the good shepherd. And so there's four observations that I want to make this morning as we go through this passage. Join with me as we go. Is the first one, Jesus shows care and compassion to his disciples. Jesus shows care and compassion to his disciples. Jesus and the disciples are reunited after a short-term missionary work in the villages of Galilee. Remember, they were sent to heal, to exercise demons, and to preach the gospel of repentance several weeks ago. Recognizing their need of recuperation after traveling and ministering, Jesus seeks out a desolate place in order that they may finally find some rest and to hear their stories. However, the crowd continues to follow them into the wilderness. The crowd are still are overwhelming. Just many are coming to him. Here we see 5,000. Matthew gives us that was 5,000 men as well as children and women. Many have probably followed the disciples to see and meet this Jesus whom they preached about in person. Who is this man they've been telling us about? And they are wanting to see who Jesus is for themselves. And like Jesus' disciples, ministry has created much interest, yet they truly needed a break. 
Mark notes here that there were so many coming and going that they could not even take the time to eat. Jesus and his disciples have every right to be annoyed, so they took off in a boat, heading to the other side, attempting to get away. Which brings us to our second observation, is that he's trying to show care and compassion, but there's obstacles to that. But number two, Jesus shows care and compassion to the crowd. See, he sees something different that the disciples don't see. See, somehow the crowd had beaten Jesus and the disciples to the other side, whether it was a storm, some winds that made the boat slower than normal. But seeing the great crowd, Mark tells us that Jesus had compassion on them. Though Jesus' and disciples were in need of much-needed rest, Jesus does not view this great throng of people as an interruption or as a problem. See, he views them and he sees them in their true condition as people that were in great need. You know, and I always make a, an editorial comment, how, how do you see, view people? You know, I have a, a sign in my office that tries to help me to understand that to view people as God opportunities, not as interruptions. Isn't it hard to get work done when you're interrupted all the time? Uh, have you, ever, you, you ever noticed men, have you ever tried to read the newspaper? No one will talk to you or want you until you pick up the newspaper, or you try to do something, then everybody wants you. And you know, it's just something to kind of get used to, and you think, oh man, there's these interruptions and all this. And you know what, we need to look and see that people are not interruptions. They're God's people, created in His image. Interestingly, God had promised to shepherd His people again, after the failure of Israel's leaders, both political and religious. And I think what we're seeing here, when he says that he had great compassion, and he gives now an imagery here of Jesus being a shepherd. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Jeremiah 23. Remember, these people are, are going out into the wilderness, a desolate place, to try to see who this Jesus is. And we must be reminded of the messianic fever that's going on in that time. And in Jeremiah, we see that God is going to now, we're going to see a connection between Mark and the Old Testament here. You look at Jeremiah chapter 23. Look at the first five verses. Jeremiah writes, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Verse 3, Then I will gather the remnant of the flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Verse 4, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. For verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. I think in this verse we can see where Mark is now trying to drive our attention and help us to see who Jesus truly is. For Jesus, as we know today, is that righteous branch. He is the promised one, the Messiah. Jesus as the promised one, the good shepherd. He recognizes the true condition of the people as sheep without shepherd. A phrase one commentator writes as being used to describe people as helpless and starving, lacking in spiritual guidance and protection, and exposed to the pearls of sin and spiritual destruction. 
In other words, we're seeing that Jesus is that promised good shepherd, the one who's not going to scatter the flock, not one who's going to neglect the flock, but one who's going to bring them in and seize them for who they truly are. Though Mark doesn't recount the motivation for the crowd following Jesus, the Apostle John does. In John chapter 6, the Apostle writes, This is indeed the prophet who is to come to the world, the people say. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew. In other words, hearing of the great works of Jesus and the authority and his teaching, the men speculated that Jesus might be the one to deliver them from Rome. Again, we must be reminded that the people of that time were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for a leader, a messiah, the promised one to redeem and restore Israel to its rightful place. And they rightfully wondered, is Jesus this man? Is he the one that we were looking for? What these men, they were in need of care and leadership, and they've been looking for centuries for that person. They truly were sheep without a shepherd, looking for care and leadership. And though it was good that they were looking for the Messiah, the promised one to lead them, Jesus, though, needs to teach them about his true mission and the kingdom. So he shows care and compassion upon the crowd, and he begins to teach them who he truly is. As we see there, he began to teach them many things. He had to rectify what their mindset was. They were seeing Jesus as just this redeemer, this restorer of Israel. And that is true, but Jesus was much more than that. For his ministry was to reconcile man back to God and man to man. He was more to bring salvation, not just from the Romans, but salvation from the curse of death and sin. So Jesus shows care and compassion to the crowd, showing himself to be that good shepherd who truly understands his sheep, understands his flock, and knows what they're thinking and knows what they need and begins to give it to them. And number three, the third observation, is Jesus instructs his disciples to provide for the crowd. Like a good leader, he's been teaching his disciples along the way. They've been very successful in ministry. So he turns and says, listen, they're, they're in need of some things. Let's, let's feed them. Whether it was compassion or selfishness, I'm not really sure. I, I think maybe a little bit of mix. I think a little bit more, though, of selfishness on the disciples' part. They do show concern for the great crowd. They recognize that there's a problem as it was very late and, and it was very far away and people are beginning to get hungry and there's no food to feed them. The disciples' solution was just send them away. Let it be their problem. You know, there's no McDonald's there. There's no Olive Garden or whatever else you might like. There's no fast food or sit-down restaurants. There's no Denny's over there in the wilderness. He says, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? What else can they do? Actually, their solution, their plan was actually not a bad way. Bad one. Send them back to their homes. Send them back to their homes. They may be hungry for a bit, but eventually they'll get there. What else could they do? What could the disciples do? They didn't know how to cope with the situation. They just saw the people as, as barriers and the food as barriers. In their mind, 200 denarii, which was about eight months of hay, was not even enough to feed this many people. Nor was there a place nearby to buy food if they could. Jesus' purpose in asking them to feed the people, though I think, was most likely to show the hopelessness in trying to do so. Something other than regular means is going to meet the need here this morning or that day. 
The fourth observation is that Jesus shows care and compassion in providing food. Jesus instructs them to sit down in an orderly arrangement to facilitate the crowds in fifties and in hundreds. Mark describes the area as green grass, signifying that it was either late winter or early spring. And collecting what was available, Jesus prays, giving thanks, and then tells them to distribute both the fish and the bread. Mark records that those five loaves and those two fish feed five thousand men. Not only did it feed them, but after the meal, they collected over 12 baskets full of leftovers. Through this supernatural miracle, Jesus gives testament of who he truly was. Who is Jesus? He's something more than just a prophet. He's something more than just a preparer of the way. He's more than just a man. He had control over the very laws of nature. Just like making wine out of water, Jesus was able to reproduce the bread and the fish to a great amount, to not only to satisfying those, but to have so much over. So as we go from the observations, and this is a very familiar portion of Scripture, it says, what does this mean? What does it mean about Jesus being the good shepherd? What does it mean about Jesus having compassion or instructing the disciples to feed or Jesus teaching them or even doing this great miracle? Well, like this crowd, we too are in need of a shepherd to give us rest, to teach us, to feed us, to provide for us. And that's the important part. I think what Mark is showing is Jesus is this good shepherd that we've been seeing from the Old Testament. Many passages in the Old Testament point to God as that good shepherd. The church of Rome, who Mark was writing to, would have found this narrative very encouraging during their suffering and the tribulations that they were experiencing. Remember, this is the whole reason for this book, is to encourage the Christians who were suffering. They too needed someone to guide them and lead them when they were living in a city in which was the capital of the world. And Rome and the Caesars were antagonistic toward the Christians. This was a time when persecution was beginning to become unbearable to many where it was more than just ridicule and economic or social problems, to where it was almost now leading to physical imprisonment and even torture and death. In Genesis 48, Jacob, blessing the children of Joseph before he dies, gives testimony about his life. When he says, the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walk, the God, he has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. See, what you and I have to realize in Psalms 23, we need a shepherd. We need one who's going to cause us to walk in the right way. John chapter 10, 11, Jesus testifies when he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, we need leaders who are going to lead us, not for their own agenda, not for their own motivation, but sees us for who we truly are and see what our true nature needs or true things need. We need someone who's ready to lay down their life for people. They were looking for leaders. They were looking for, for deliverers, the same way you and I are today. We too are looking for that. But we need one who's the good shepherd willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And obviously setting 2,000 years back, we know that Jesus did just that. Later, John will also write in Revelation 7, when he says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne, 
He will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Amen? You and I need the good shepherd. Jesus is that good shepherd. Some of the duties of a shepherd is tending and feeding and guarding of his sheep. One who protects them, one who cares for them. In those days, a shepherd would have several types of things in his possession to help him tend and feed and guard the sheep. One would be a sling for protection. You and I know this from the popular stories of David and Goliath, where he always had a sling and he would use it to throw at the bears and the lions and the tigers, oh my, and all those things that would attack his sheep. He'd have a rod with about 30 inches long with a knob on the end with a big kind of thing where he could whack. Sometimes it could be whacking the sheep, but mainly for defense. But he also would have a staff with a crook. And this is something I think many of you kind of understand. When we think of a shepherd, you think of a staff. And he would have kind of like a big thing and and have a crook on the end. And that way he could not only guide the sheep as they were walking, but he could also pull them off when they came off trail or they were getting in trouble. It would allow him to lean down and to pull them out of those hilly cliffs and other places that they would find themselves. He also would have a flute made of reeds for calming the sheep and to keep himself entertained. But most importantly is that sheep, sheep would learn to recognize the voice of their master. And that's what we see in John in our scripture reading. He says, they'll know my voice. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd. And these 5,000 men desperately needed someone to lead them. If we were to look in John, we would see that many followed Jesus after this event, but there were many, eventually, who would leave him, showing that they were not of his flock. These five men desperately needed a leader who would lay down his life for them. They needed one who to take care of them and do the things. In the same way, you and I need a great shepherd. For number one, to protect us. You and I need protecting. We need a good shepherd, one who has that rod, the one who has that staff ready to defend us. Like this meant we are in need of protection. We too are like sheep who are defenseless and even oblivious to our true condition. That's the thing about sheep is they don't understand. If one goes off the cliff, they would just follow each other off. They don't know where to go. I don't know if you ever worked with a sheep, but you know, there's a phrase that we use, you're dumb as. Okay, some of you got it. You ever heard that phrase? Maybe it's just a Midwestern thing. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that all we are sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way like judges. We all do what's right in our own way. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We think that we understand and can protect ourselves. We believe that we can play with sin and we're okay, that we can protect ourselves, but really we can't. We needed a good shepherd to come and play that flute and call us because we needed someone to show us the way. We needed one to protect us. Amen? I don't know about you, but I still need that today. I need that good shepherd who's going to lead me and guide me. Sometimes I just need the crook to bring me this way. Sometimes I need that staff with the big knob on it that just winds up hitting me up the flank. We need that type. He's a protector. We also need a good shepherd, number two, just to teach us. Like these men, we think we have it all figured out. 
They were following Jesus saying, well, we need a leader. We need a military leader. We need a political leader. We need one who's going to help us rise up and take back and be restored to who we truly are. We think we know what we need. We know what we desire and, and how to go about it. But I tell you, we are wrong. Take your Bibles if you would, please. Turn to Psalms chapter 14. We think we know what we need. We think we know how to solve these problems. Monday through Friday, the staff, we usually gather around our staff door over here and we usually solve all the problems in the world, usually within 15 minutes. If we have peanut butter pretzels, it takes us 20. Do you know what I'm talking about? You have the water coolers at work. You have the times at homes. So we're all Monday morning quarterbacks, right? We think we know it all. We got it all. But look at Psalms chapter 14. Look at the first four verses. The fool has said in his heart what? There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. But we know in Romans it tells us there is none. Look at verse 3. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Verse 4. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? Well, there isn't. 2 Corinthians tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of the Christ, who is the image of God. There are some people, when they see God, when they see Jesus, they do not see what you and I see. I was reading another article. I don't know why I read the Huffington Post, but I do, especially their religious section. I don't even know why they call it religious and Christianity section, but they do. And this one lady was writing about how you could be a Christian and not believe in the Bible, not believe in the Trinity, not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, not believe that he's born of a virgin, don't believe he's done any miracles or supernatural events. To her, you can be a Christian. That's Christian. And you should accept her as that. In reality, really, she's a fool. Her mind has been blinded. And like the men following Jesus into a desperate place, seeking to make him into their political and military Messiah, we are blind fools. See, they sought one thing from Jesus. He's going to solve their problem. He's going to lead their agenda. And we have made Jesus the very same thing in this day of age. Just add Jesus and stir. Got problems? He'll help you. You got an addiction? Add Jesus. You got problems in your marriage? Just add Jesus. Put a bumper sticker on there. Okay, everything's going to be perfect. We too are looking for political, cultural, and economic saviors, are we not? That's what this world is looking for. Desiring for someone to come and to make everything okay. And here we are in the political silly season, and all these leaders are telling us, follow me, follow me. I can solve these problems. They're looking for healing, they're looking for salvation, and they're looking for comfort, but yet, as the old song, they're looking for it in all the wrong places and in the wrong people. So we need a good shepherd to teach us, to help us understand, and I don't know about you, but we need a good shepherd because if it was up to me, we'd be in trouble. Because my heart is probably more like the disciples. Man, these people just won't let us get any rest. 
I tell you, just let them just, they followed us foolishly into the desert. Let them just get their own food. Have you ever felt like that? That people just continually get on. But I'm thankful that we have one who sees us as we truly are. I'm a skeptic at heart. and Maybe you are too. Maybe it's difficult sometimes as we see people and we just want to blow right past them. But we need one who sees that people really need to be taught about the kingdom of God. And thirdly, not only do we need a good shepherd to protect us, to teach us, but we also need one to provide for us. Like these men who foolishly ran out in the desert place without provision, ran out there, no food, no water. We need God to meet our needs. And I'm thankful for Philippians 4.19, where Paul tells the church of Philippi, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We need a shepherd to provide for our daily needs, for our food, for our shelter and our clothing. We don't need to be focused so much on those things, looking for economic savior and economic leader. We don't need to be looking for those types of things. The Bible tells us our Father knows what we need before we even ask Him. In Matthew, he tells us, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need of them all. And if he's going to clothe the field, if he's going to take care of the, the birds and the sparrow, will he not even take care of you? We have a good shepherd who's going to provide for us. We've got a good shepherd who will provide for our healing and comfort. I love Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who heals our diseases, who forgives all of our iniquities. 2 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. See, healing and comfort is something that you and I need. Many people are trying to find healing and comfort for maybe a relationship problem with your parents or your siblings or with your spouses or with your children. They're looking for comfort and healing for pain and addictions, pleasure experiments, and all these other types of things. But we know that the end result of those is more enslavement. There's never any finality to it. You'll be an addict, you'll die an addict. The Bible gives us so much more hope than that. For he says that he'll come and he'll heal us. And he'll comfort us. And let me say that that doesn't mean that he'll always come and heal every affliction. But it says that he'll give us comfort in our affliction. And with that comfort, he says, you are to comfort others. Knowing that sometimes our physical, mental, and relationship healing comes on the other side of heaven. But we have that hope, and we have that trust, and we have that from a good shepherd. And then third, last one, to provide for us a salvation. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's get here to the end. Ephesians chapter 1. You and I need a good shepherd to protect us, to teach us, to provide for us. Provide for our daily needs, for our healing and comfort. And then lastly, for our salvation. For as Jesus looked upon the crowd and had compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd, I think the greatest need that he sees is their need of salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that you and I should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he has predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of the will. Let me share you, if you're struggling in your family, God has given you a new father. He's given you a new brothers and new sisters, and new grandpas, and new grandmas. God has given us a new family. He's predestined us to be adopted in this family, to be holy and blameless. Maybe you're here and, you're, and you look in the mirror at night or maybe even in the morning and you see the sin, you see your rottenness. And in your heart, you can't get past the guilt and shame. But let me tell you, he says that one day he'll present us holy and blameless, not because of who we are or what we've done, but based on who Jesus Christ is. Amen? That's our hope. That's what a good shepherd does. He meets our true needs, not just the ones that we feel that we need. See, many people believe they just need a special program or they need this or they need that. But God says, I can come and make you whole and make you new. But let's continue. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And those first six verses... And he gives us our condition there. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, you and I truly were dead in our sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You and I were sheep just going in our own direction, oblivious to our own sin. But verse 5, but. I think that's a great word right there, but. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, look at this, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he has raised us to walk with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. The good shepherd knows what you and I need exactly, and that's salvation. Let me ask you today, have you accepted that gift of salvation? Have you heard the knock of Christ? Have you come and said, he's saying, listen, I need to come to you. You need to understand. You need to be taught. The Bible says it's pointed on a man wants to die, then after this, the judgment. And we already have seen that the Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's no one that seeks after God. There's none that seek after the things of God. But God's message still reverberates throughout the history. Repent, repent. Turn from your sin and turn and trust in Christ. Good shepherd today, maybe he's using just the staff with the crook and he's trying to bring you back. Maybe he's just nudging you. Or maybe he's got the big old knobby stick and he's hitting you right now and saying, you need me, you need me, you need me. Would you see it? Don't find yourself in that desolate wilderness following all sorts of leaders and saviors and messiahs to find yourself with no bread and no water, no substance, looking for man and saying, help me, feed me. And they say, how can I do so? These men left satisfied because the Son of God was a good shepherd who knew exactly what they needed. What is it that you need this morning? 
What is it that you're struggling with in your life? I don't expect you to share with me, but let me share with you, God knows exactly what it is. You may not need what you think you need. What you truly need is a good shepherd, the one who truly knows what you are. Would you come in this morning and say, Father, this is what's heavy on my heart. This is what's heavy on my mind. Here's what I'm worrying about. Here's what I'm anxiety, uh, anxious about. Here are the things that I'm struggling with. Are these the true needs? Then open your heart to the Spirit and through His Word and let Him teach you and show you what your true needs are. And you respond to the one who will protect us, the one who will teach us, and the one who will provide for us. For you and I, we need a shepherd to protect us, to teach us, to feed us, and provide for us. We too, like, the, like Christ, we need to have a compassionate heart as Christ did. Disciples still, they have those rough edges. As we're going to see next week, their heart is still hardened, even after seeing the miracles of Jesus, even after performing them themselves, their heart is hardened. You and I need to look at people with compassion. We need to see them as Jesus sees them. We need to have understanding hearts of people's true condition. We need to introduce others to that good shepherd. Would you do so this morning? Don't hold it all. They need to know. People need to know. The newspaper and the press conferences and the talking heads on TV, they will share with you and get you involved and drag you in to events and to things that really in the internal consequence doesn't matter but it has a solution that's found only through Scripture. And Father, I pray that you just be with us this morning. Help us to understand that truly. Work in our hearts this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're the good shepherd. Just, Lord, just bring us closer to you. Lord, I don't know what the needs are here, everyone. I don't know what their hearts are. I don't know what their motivations are. I'm not sure why all may be here or why they're looking for you, but I pray that you would bring them to you. And Lord, they may see that their need can be met. We thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.